to the Strong Talk Podcast with Tom Reaney and myself, Pete Nelson. The aim of the podcast is to share our candid and uncensored conversations on all things fitness, health, business, and leadership. Through these conversations, we hope you take away a couple things to enhance your life and simply be better. Welcome to the talk. What are you in the mood for? I don't know. Anytime I, I see like this guard around the microphone, I think it's like a 1950s like radio show, and I got to be like, "Hey, everybody!" You know, like talking. It, to it's the, like a fly swatter. Really, really close. <laughs> um, I don't know. Let's talk about. Um, How about we let's let's go down the route of supplementation. You had an awesome IGTV video. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to talk about supplements. You know what I want to talk about, and maybe nobody cares, but you, my friend, had a great post about. What was it about? It was about like the five things that like every person should do to, oh, live, yeah. to live a great life. And you got a lot of, a lot of, uh, static. Yeah. Should they, we know, we call it mean? engagement in the millennial oh. generation. <laughs> a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of interaction. Um, yeah. So the beautiful thing about, man, people were pissed. <laughs> the beautiful thing about social media is that if if you put out a post it could go viral real quick this one did not go viral <laughs> however a couple of them a couple of my uh, reels have but this random post i put out oh there the wait other day, humble brag hey, humble, hey. well yeah you know a couple of them a couple of them <laughs> so there was a post i put out saying what are the top six movements that every person should include in their training program and tom always calls me um you know old pc pete because I have to be politically correct about everything that I say. But I put an asterisk next to it saying, as long as there's no restriction. These are the movements. It would be a goblet squat or a front squat. I mean, you're going to name them off? A goblet squat or a front squat. You. A deadlift. He's not looking at his phone, by A the way. strict pull-up. A, oh man, what's the next one? I forget. Uh, a running. And then I'm going to have to pull it up, guys. A running. What is, is running. that similar to running? A running, yep. Uh, I'm going to pull it up, guys. Here it is. Front squat or heavy goblet squat, deadlift, farmer carry, single arm shoulder press, strict pull-up, and run. So there's six movements that everybody should include. Now, I will say that after looking at the comments, the number one suggested movement to include within that was a burpee. And I want, I, I want to say no. My question to you, is that bullshit, or is that do you think that's justified? I I don't think that a burpee should be included in there. I would say, if anything, a no push-up burpee could be included in there. Ooh. The reason being is that you have to look at it, the movement itself, the burpee, there's almost too much risk to hyperextension of the low back, and most people can't land. Uh, uh, I, guess, I guess you could say most people cannot absorb force as they're jumping on up from all the way from the ground on a burpee from the chest position up to a complete foot position. I will say that no push-up burpee, you have greater control, and there's less demand on the pec and the shoulder, so there's less uh, uh, shear force happening at the front side of the shoulder, which means obviously that injury, uh, you're mitigating injury at a higher rate. Um, so my thought is is that if you're confined to space, absolutely a no push-up burpee is a, is a solid bet. But again, from a, from a top six component, if you're looking at best bang for your buck, most functional movements you could possibly do, running, makes complete sense, locomotion, going from point A to point B. Now, is everybody an efficient runner? No. They are not. But, again, if you don't have restriction and if you're adequately working at it and uh, you have a coach that's helping you uh, progress with your running in terms of gait, 
making sure you're not overstriding in, in your heel striking. Yes, running could be wildly effective. And running, I would say, is also a blanket term. Are we talking jogging? Are we talking long distance like I do? Are we talking sprinting like Tom Rini is? Uh, you know, know how Tom Rini does? Or are we talking more along the lines of your 400, 800s? Again, those are all different intensities, all complete different durations. Well, and I, you got to go back to what what was the heading of what was the caption again? The six things that for, I mean, I, you, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. So a short, yeah, comprehensive list of the most effective exercises that should be included in every training program. Okay, so when you talk about the word effective, I guess that's that's a different beast. Um, and I guess arguments can be made for all of those things when you talk about the efficacy, if you oh. will, of a, a burpee in terms of um, making progress within a program. I guess when I, when I saw the comments, uh, I thought more along the lines of quality of life, longevity. Right. And the only thing that I can keep coming up with in my mind is, you know, for a high quality of life, we don't necessarily need to have dynamic contractions, right? We right. don't need to necessarily have fast, quick, powerful contractions, right? So the idea of a burpee, right, makes kind of no sense with that, right? Because if somebody does fall down, the ability to push themselves back up is not necessarily um, equated with a strong dynamic contraction of muscle, right? It has more to do with control and being able to contract the muscle, but more underneath it from a slow and, perspective, right? And I would also say that most people, when they see it from like a macro level, burpee, while it is functional, yes, getting down and getting back up. It certainly you, is, yeah. Yeah, it is functional. But at the same time, you're exactly right. If we're trying to build a greater quality of life and longevity, doing a burpee every single day isn't going to make isn't going to make total sense. Right. Um, keep, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to no, cut you off. No, no, no. I'm used to you cutting me off. Um, <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I just thought it was a good point because I think, I think in this day and age, it takes stones to put something like that out there, right? Because it's going to be open to criticism and there's, there's Insta coaches everywhere that kind of will, right. will uh, tell you. And, and, and everybody makes a valid point. I mean, there's certainly ability to be able to do burpees or box squats or step ups or just being able to walk. So, I just thought it was a really interesting topic to discuss, um, uh, you know, and when you talk about pure functionality, I mean, really, uh, you know, if you if you can manage, you know, um, you know, long duration zone two work and muscular contraction, I would say like slow muscular contraction. Mm -hmm. I think those two things lend itself much better to a high quality of life. Right. You don't necessarily have to be able to do a muscle up or a burpee to have enhanced quality of life and longevity. Right. right. Um, so, but there's definitely two different, two different things when, when you talk about it, when you talk about efficiency of a training program versus quality of life and longevity. Um, Absolutely. So, I, I will say too, uh, when Tom's talking about dynamic contraction, it's something to consider uh, when, when we program the idea of a dynamic contraction is to, is to elicit a fast twitch response of the muscle. When we elicit a fast twitch response of the muscle, uh, power output is higher. Um, there's less uh, th there's less demand on fat and carbohydrate as uh, as energy is rather it's more protein based. And so what what, en what ends up happening uh, with dynamic contraction is yes, it, it allows for us to move more like athletes. But as Tom is saying, does that mean that we're going to live longer because we're moving like athletes? Not necessarily. However, I w I can make a case and I would say a case that people you know at least who come through these walls at Black Flag. They want to be able to have a high quality of life, but 
you know, a number of our population here are between 30 to 50 years old and they have kids, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So for them to be able to get out in their backyard and throw the football around, cut, you know, and whatnot, and be able to do so in a safe manner, well, guess what? What are they doing? They're dynamically contracting outside of these walls. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, it, again, it, it, it's almost kind of like the teeter-totter um, is is what's what I guess my my thought is, is is there too much dynamic contraction, right, versus too little? And how do we get the right amount without, you know, injuring people, one, first and foremost, keeping people safe, uh, but two, doing so in an effective way to where when they go outside of here, they're able to still go play kickball. They could still do flag football. They could go out and support their kids and have fun. Um, that's kind of like a thought I've always had was, can we balance those two? Is there a marriage between dynamic contraction and non-dynamic contraction? I think there is. I think there has to be. Um, and, and I'm from my perspective, or at least in my mind, when you talk about dynamic contractions, we're really talking about reactive force, right? So a force pushes against your foot and then you reactively, again, push back into whatever force is pushing to, to create a contraction, right? And when we talk about dynamic contractions, we're talking about forceful contractions, high rate contractions. So things that you think about with an Olympic lift or sprinting or jumping. When I think about reactive contractions or dynamic contractions, I think the idea should be, especially as we get older and for general health and fitness, is this idea that we need to be able to better uh, uh, absorb force um, or or absorb that reactive energy coming through the ground or whatever we're exerting it against. To truly decelerate. Exactly. To truly learn to decelerate and control the musculature because as you and I both know and We'll let the world in on a little secret that, you know, injury occurs not necessarily as a result of acceleration or reserves as a course of, of course, um, of deceleration. So being able to teach our muscles how to absorb force from an elastic component, I think is critical to the long-term process and to keeping people healthy and active out, outside of the gym, whether they want to go shoot some hoops with their kids or, right. you know, go running on the weekend. And that efficiency will make you uh, a better when you become more efficient at understanding and controlling the elastic components of muscles. And maybe we're going off the deep end here a little bit, but can you, it, can you real quick, like talk, like, I, I guess you could say a real simple terms, like what elasticity is of, of the muscle. So, yeah. So when a tendon and muscle gets stretched, it only has, uh, it, it, it only has a certain range of motion. And once it hits that end range of motion, it has to contract, right? And we yeah. have all these signal, signaling apparatus within the tendons and the muscles that signal that back up to the brain to, to cause a contraction. So when I'm talking about, people always think about like the muscular component of, of contraction, right? The, the muscle belly extends and then gets shortened. Um, right, like a bicep curl. Yeah, yeah right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. But we just think about it from a muscular perspective. Right. But oftentimes, uh, we don't think about it from a, a ligament and a tendon perspective, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all your muscles essentially, you know, dwindle down into tendons and ligaments that attach to bones that allow for movement. Um, so when we talk about the elastic component of that, that's usually what I'm referring to is the mm-hmm. tendon and ligament. Uh, action of, of muscle contraction, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. which is a huge, huge thing that I think a lot of younger coaches don't even think about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting some a lot of traction now in kind of the sports performance world. People are starting to understand that. Um, but there's ways to, you know, it's one of the benefits of like whole body vibration training, right? right. Is that we, we um, relax that reflexive response and in turn the muscle can get longer, right. which means when it does contract, it's a more forceful contraction, right? So there's a bunch of things there. I know that probably didn't yeah, answer no, no, the questions, but good. there's there's a whole big rabbit hole we could go down in, in terms of that kind of stuff. But, you know, long story short, uh, I think everything that you put out there is certainly beneficial. I mean, think about it, man. 
If you are out there and every week you're squatting, you're running, you're doing push-ups, you're doing pull-ups, I mean, you know, I mean, there could be an argue for maybe adding some uh, horizontal pulling. Right. Um, right. Absolutely. But uh, but other than that, yeah, if you're doing those things, you're doing those things consistently and you're moving well, shit, mm-hmm. man, you're going to be you're going to be solid for a long time. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's important to note that of these six uh, movements, again, the front squat or, or heavy goblet squat, the deadlift, farmer carry, the single arm shoulder press, strict pull up and run. There's so many variations that we could delve down to within each and every single one of those sure. to make a great program. Uh, one of the things that we've seen so many times, time and time again, from different gyms around the area and then obviously worldwide is in, you're talking about horizontal pulling is the strict pull up is a vertical pull. But far too often we see coaches implementing a ring row or another horizontal pull as a substitute for the pull up. But when you think about the actual muscle action and the angles that we're pulling, they're, they're two completely different movements. And um, so it's one of the reasons why, you know, we educate our, our staff and our staff is well educated in terms of, you know, uh, muscle dynamics, uh, biomechanics and that. How could we get. For example, again, your 50, 60, 70-year-old who may not have the strength of a strict pull-up to still be able to do a strict pull-up and progress to there. Listen, if, if we have a 70-year-old, they don't need to do a strict pull-up. However, the action of it, so whether or not you go foot assist on the ground or you right. add yeah. a bench. You have to train the pattern. Yeah, you have to train absolutely, the pattern. absolutely. And for them to be able to slow down to be able to actually get the effectiveness of that. Yeah. You know, Again, you're talking about dynamic contraction earlier. A jumping pull-up is much more of a dynamic contraction than it, than it would be a tempo strict pull-up with your feet assisted on the ground, yeah. right? Like what's yeah, yeah, what's yeah. actually developing strength? What's actually developing capacity for these people? Yeah. Um, and so that that's something that you know, again, within this list, I was thinking about is that we could you could progress people so far along, uh, depending on where they're at, to eventually get to what they need. Again, people don't need to be able to front squat two twenty five to have a very high quality of life, right? But it's the idea of are their patterns correct? Are they stable in the bottom position? Is the range of motion adequate enough for them to be able to still live a higher quality of life? Yeah. Well, uh, and just, not forcing bad position, obviously. Right. Um, but you then just hit also, the nail on the head, though. You have to train the pattern. Right. Right. Because right. it's not just muscular conditioning. Is there's neural conditioning as well. Right. Absolutely. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're no. You're fine. You're fine. My but, bad, yo. Um, but but definitely like from a um, again like the front squat. I, I will say you know. Thinking back upon one of our uh, past Bridge Series events that we had with uh, Dr. Julie Fouché, when we had, I think it was 45 to 50 uh, medical professionals and doctors in here, it was so evident that we aren't doing a good enough job as a society teaching how to correctly hip hinge. And that's probably the number one bastardized movement I see, uh, especially as a coach and working with you know the hundreds of athletes that we have. The thing with the hip hinge that if if it's not trained cor- correctly or people aren't educated enough, they just don't know what it is, is that's honestly what's bringing on quite a bit of back pain for a lot of people. And when somebody goes to the doctor to be treated for back pain, does that doctor know what's actually starting, what's like the root cause of this back pain? Now, it, it may not be. It may not be that they don't know how to hip hinge. It could be something else. But the, the, the teaching moment of being able to apply the hip hinge to somebody uh, for them to be able to learn how to pick something up off the ground, do so in a way to where they understand that the torso needs to be in a nice, solid, neutral position. The shoulder blades are engaged. The hips are going to the right spot. The knees are slightly bent. That's super important. 
that, in my opinion, is what's adding your that that's what could add years onto people's lives. And again, it's one of the reasons why I included deadlift in here is because you're developing posterior strength, you're developing postural uh, awareness, obviously. Sure. Um, you're contracting the core in a much more efficient way uh, than just squatting or you know going down right into your toes to pick something up. Uh, I just see that from a component of I have a sixty year old coming in to the gym. How can I be able to get them to garden better? How can I get them yeah. to be able to put you know, pick up this bag off the ground and take it to the backyard. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show you how bullshit the system is, right? Oh, hundred percent. You know what I mean? I mean, the bullshit, the system is so bullshit and so foobard that like it's, it's, I mean, you, we, everybody talks about this shit, right? Like the system is, you know, not, not uh, healthcare, it's sick care and all those types of things. And, you know, even when you go in and I know some of my physical therapy friends uh, out there might be pissed at this, but when you go into a lot of physical therapy settings or even personal trainers, right? Like the most bastardized job in the world is personal training. You know, you go into a, a general or a big box gym, gym setting and it's all bullshit. When you see somebody who's, you know, 65 years old and has super poor movement dysfunction everywhere, even with just how they walk. Right. And then you have some asshole trainer sit them down on a cable machine and do cable curls. Right. And they're paying them for the hour for the garbage. And all you're doing, I mean, I, I saw it when I was down in Florida with my family. I went to commercial gym and I watch a personal trainer sit there and you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, and so one of the things that fortunately you and I have had the pleasure of, of meeting people from all these different industries, you know, the medical, the doctors and the physical therapists and the chiropractors and the trainers is this idea that we all work together, right? And we all understand that like everybody has a specialty mm-hmm. and everybody's specialties when they come together cohesively, that's going to benefit the athlete. Right. More often than not, and at this stage in the game of 45 years old and 20 some years of doing this, it's starting to finally, the trend's starting to change a little bit where these guys, everybody's starting to work together. Right. Versus back in the day, it was like the doctor would tell you the strength coach was an idiot. The strength coach would tell you the doctor was an idiot. The physical therapist was, you know, non-existent. Um, and chiropractors were quacks. So it was like this crazy dynamic. So we're starting, but I think situations like we did with, with, uh, Julie, where we brought in these medical professionals and it was astounding to me, right? Because we think of docs I'm going on a rant here. Uh, this is great. (laughs) We we think, but we think of docs is like this end all be all. They know everything about everything and they have the answers to everything. And I think sometimes doctors think that as well. But it was evident, clearly evident, when we brought those fifty sore, you know, medical professionals in, that they 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 couldn't get into a hip hinge, you know, and or you know they didn't understand the mecha- mechanics of a air squat, or how to squat properly, or how to stay balanced, and how how to distribute right. So the idea of like these seven basic or seven or eight basic human movement patterns, depending upon what literature you read. And the idea that if they don't have an understanding of what those movement patterns are or how they should be administered effectively and efficiently, and they're the ones showing, you know, giving people treatment, it becomes a massive issue that spirals out of control. And then by the time we get to them, people either tell us, we don't know what we're talking about because so-and-so said it, uh, or they're so far regressed that you got to spend three to five years to teach them how to move again. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes super frustrating for the athlete because they want it done yesterday. And, you know, so it's an interesting, an interesting dynamic the way all of it plays. But it comes back to this idea that, you know, we have to sift through all of the bullshit and the garbage and get, get back to people. And right? the ba- and the basics of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, and to add on to that, the 
the doctor, it's the, the doctor, obviously, you know, the, the years and years of education, they are so book smart. It is unbelievable. Yeah. And trust me, they, I, I don't think that we're doing a good job of uh, giving them credit. Obviously like they're, they're saving lives and whatnot, but they could be saving much more you know what I mean? And it could be so much more earlier on if there was a network set up in place, you know, and it's something that I think that we're building here is that we have a staff and the connections to be able to get people, you know, let's say somebody comes in from a gym and they, they do have current shoulder pain. Well, let's get them taken care of. Here's, here's our connections lifts and we're all working together. But yeah, that's and exactly that's, my point. Yeah. And that's, that's the way the, the system should be set up. Correct. Right? And, and we're fortunate, like I was saying that, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to downplay doctors and, and right. think doctor, you know, I certainly value every doctor and what they do and, and how they help people. But I, I think that it's gotta be a system in which everybody respects everybody's role and there is interaction. And we've been very fortunate that we've, we work with doctors, we work with orthopedic surgeons, we work with physical therapists, right. we work with chiropractors. And we have feedback with one another right. and say, all right, this is what so-and-so has going on with what I'm doing here, you know, this, so you can determine what you need to do with them and so on and so forth down the line. Right. And so, you know, again, coming back to this list, if a doctor would be able to know, they don't have to know in depth, but just know the basics of these six movements and be able to do so efficiently and be able to teach somebody, again, not at a high level. Like a like a you know a qualified strength coach would need to, but just a level to where they would be able to get that person moving just a little bit for them to be able to fix a couple of their issues, or again to be able to refer to a gym or a well qualified PT that is associated with the gym. I think that's where we could really really build with some wellness. Um, and when you're looking at what should be included in every single training program, yes, these six move these six lifts or you know six exercises are fantastic. Um, but it's it's how they're applied. Um, it's 100% also who's being able to help you or help guide you in that direction to be able to uh, adequately, um, you know, incorporate those into your own training program. You know, again, having a strength coach obviously helps. Having a PT obviously helps. Um, but for like you're saying, to have all those people, you know, that that panel of people that you could go to um, to be able to effectively, you know, make your health 20 times better. Or for you to be able to live a higher quality of life, then you know th there's no reason why people shouldn't have that shouldn't have that uh, ability to be able to have access to those people. And I think that's what we're doing here. Uh, yeah, I agree. You know, agree. and I think that that's a huge, at least at least in my eye, I think that that's one of the biggest difference makers um, yeah. in people's lives. Yeah. So, but anyways, yeah. I again, I, I'm I'm happy that you brought up this list because this was something that I remember I asked you about uh, the other day in the gym was. <laughs> What do you think? Like, do, should I add a movement to this? Should I take out a movement? And you're so right. Earlier, you're like, it takes, it, 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 it took a little bit of, a, a, I guess you could say, mental energy for me to post it because I was trying to figure yeah, out, like, man. am I, am I going to get pushed back or whatnot? But I thought it was great. I will say a couple, a couple of notes that people put out there saying, uh, add uh, a, a ruck or a sandbag carry. I think that obviously could go hand in hand with uh, farmer carries. Um, some people were saying some unilateral work. I would, I would say that let's, let's master the I mean, bilateral first. The ruck thing I, I, I probably, I don't know if I agree with, but that, that might be a different, different episode. I yeah, like, wh why do you need to walk with added load on your spine for an extended period of time? Right. I mean, you're talking about, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I understand like rucking is a big deal and it's everything yeah. and it's important. And it's good for fitness. And I think there's value to it at certain times. Right. But again, when you're talking about just a general, you get far greater, um, oh, I don't want to 
use this term, but I'm going to use it. Uh, quarter extremity engagement with the farmer <laughs> carry. Yeah, I agree. Necessarily. But anyway, uh, anyway, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. talk about it every time. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, unilateral work again, being a, I, yeah. I would, I would no, say, I think unilateral work is great. I mean, isn't locomotion and running unilateral? Yeah. But again, I think that it comes back to if, you could do a lot of great stuff with a squat and whatnot, and I would I would even argue a lunge is a derivative of the squat. It's considered a you know right, one of the basic right. movement patterns. So yeah, right, man, right. Yeah, so um, hashtag burpees. Burpees were a part of it. Again, burpees, uh, and then uh, some. Someone else also said to add a clean to it, like a power clean. And my thought, you know, it, I think that if you're looking at why do we incorporate uh, why do we incorporate cleans and maybe this could be like something down the line another podcast yeah. um, with Olympic lifting Ooh, why we, do we incorporate Olympic lifting yeah that would be but a good I discussion would, but I would argue that every single one of these movements on the list if at the correct percentage you know let's say you're at 30 to 50% of your 100 max for any of these movements you produce enough power I would say that and argue that one of these movements that, is, that are not that are not a clean or a snatch could be as beneficial as an Olympic lift if not more beneficial based off of the less complexity of the movement itself. So that's just my thought. So with all these six movements and kind of touching back to when we were talking about like going to the doctor and everything too, when you kind of start aging and things, when you're kind of like in a bad state of mind where you're like, oh, my shoulder's kind of not getting back to normal, like kind of going back to these six basic movements, like what kind of um, advice, I suppose, do you kind of say to stick with those kinds of things when like, Maybe like you're getting a little bit older than you once were. The injuries don't kind of heal as quick as they once were. Right. How do these six movements, would you say, kind of like correlate to that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, in my opinion, uh, volume intensity are uh, two of the biggest factors uh, as you age. Um, we all know that as we get older and older, um, we don't tolerate the volume as much as we did when we were 20 or 25. Um, I would also say that the intensity doesn't need to be necessarily as high. So let's say, you know, for example, we don't need a 60-year-old performing the same volume and intensity that our 30-year-old compete athlete would be would be going at. Um, so if you if you dictate volume and you dictate intensity, uh, and you do so at a sustainable pace to where, and Tom was uh, hitting at it like zone two pacing. Like if I'm hitting a majority of my conditioning, let's say eight out of every 10, 10 sessions at you know 65 to 75 percent or 60 to 70, 70 to uh, 80 percent of my max heart rate, what that allows me to do is it one psychologically allows me to be able to stay at it with my training. I feel good. I don't feel like I'm being ran down Two, uh, with that pacing. It allows us to be able to recover even quicker, right? Versus the idea of, you know, having to go 72 hours after a training session, you might be, you might be bringing that down to 48 hours after a training session. If we were to regulate intensity like that. And I would also argue if, if you're trying to build a true uh, quality of life and longevity, we don't have to necessarily lift to a one rep max, right? People, necess- people would be probably better off focused on the tempo, the range of motion, right, within specific volume. So it's kind of like goes back to the, uh, the old principle of uh, less is more um, or like the minimal effective dose when it comes to exercise. That, in my mind, as we get older, is extremely crucial, because most people who are 60 years old, 50 years old, don't necessarily want to be doing an hour and a half training session. What they want to do is get 45 minutes to an hour and then move on about their day and then be able to go hang out with their family. Yeah, it ends up being detrimental. They're doing 45-minute training sessions on a daily basis, right? Right, and it's the reason why, like, us <clears throat> with our programming model, we've gone with five days in a week versus, you know, seven yeah. days in a week. Yeah, certainly. So, 
But yeah, I hope that answers your question. Cool. Jimmy throwing out, throwing out <laughs> questions from the I gallery. Love I love it. 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 Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. What? We're on, done? We're done. Thank you so much for joining us Come on. on Black Flag Radio. We're excited to be back, and we'll talk to you guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Strong Talk Podcast. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify. This allows us to share our conversations with more people and positively influence our fitness communities. If there are any topics you want to hear from us, drop us a message on Instagram at Coach Tom Rini, that's R-I-N-I, or at Peter Nelson II, and we can take a deep dive. Again, thank you for listening and continue to be better.